All right. I think I'm on. I think I'm all set. No hair. All right. If you have a uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter number 18. And as you're turning there, I just want to say uh, Happy Easter. And uh, we are so glad that you're here with us this morning. And uh, certainly appreciate the, uh, the, the attendance and, and uh, those who are here and so many uh, faces and familiar friends. And uh, we're so glad that you're here this morning. And uh, we certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your, your schedule to be with us. And so John chapter number 18, and I want to um, really look at one, uh, one verse of Scripture. We're going to look at the whole passage, but we're going to start with one verse of Scripture, John chapter number 18, the Gospel of John chapter number 18, and verse number 38. As we get into this story, Jesus had been in the garden and He was praying, as you know, with His disciples. And uh, as he was praying, then Judas Iscariot came, and he came with a band of, uh, of chief priests and uh, the Israelite scribes and, and the Pharisees and those kind of people, and a band of men, and they, they came to the garden where Jesus was praying, and they took Jesus and, uh, and brought him, and then the, uh, they sat down and they drilled him and questioned him all about his... Uh, what he was doing, and, and they, of course, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, and so when he, when, when he made several claims, which he very clearly did in the Gospels, that he was Jesus, you can read several times, that they took up stones to stone him. They wanted to stone him for blasphemy. And so in their mind, he was claiming to be Christ, though he was not Christ. And so they were upset with that. And after they bring him aside and they're questioning him and talking to him, uh, they decide, yes, uh, that, that he is blasphemed. And by the way, they will look at it in the text and we'll see this. But they also brought false accusations against him. Um, so it was not just that, but there was other things that they said. And, uh, and in the course of doing that, the Jews did not have the jurisdiction to actually crucify Christ. So then they take them uh, to Pilate, who was the governor of Judea. And that's where we're jumping into the middle of this story. Pilate, the governor of Judea, uh, he was talking with Jesus and in corresponding with Jesus Christ in verse number 38, we're going to jump into the middle of this. It says this, Pilate saith unto him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for each and every person that is here this morning. And Father, I thank you for those who have tuned in online. And God, I pray that you would just bless uh, the, the, the message. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person, each and every listener. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, you would use me and that you would touch hearts, God, as only you can. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this one verse, uh, Pilate asks this question. Uh, the very first thing he says there, what is truth? 
You think about that question for a moment, and uh, you could kind of put that down as the title of the message, What is Truth? I don't know about you, but in uh, the past two years, uh, with, with the amount of information and everything that is being published and put out, uh, you have to scratch your head sometimes and say, What is truth? We, we live in a day and age where information is accessible. You know, I mean, uh, you can go old school, you can go down to the library, and there are tons of books on everything. Uh, then, boy, you can turn on the radio, you can listen to every person's opinion uh, in every area uh, on the radio. You can turn on the television, and you can get a whole lot of information. And then you can turn on the Internet, and we all carry around smartphones, and you can access it even more accessibly uh, to find out, well, what about this, and what about that? And, and we live in a day and age where information is, is at, a, at a finger's reach, really. Uh, information is so available to us. But I hate to be the guy to break it to you, but in case you haven't heard it before, not everything you see on TV is true. I know you, I, I saw, I could tell some are really, really shocked by that. I got another one for you. Not everything you read on the internet is true. Whoa. That just blew something out of the water, I can tell. But everything was true that was on the internet. And, and I, 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 I hate to be the guy that tell you that, but that's, the fact is they're, they're not. Everything that you read is not true. And we find ourselves in a day and age when we're trying to ask the same question that Pilate is asking, what is true? truth. Even today, I mean, you can turn on the TV, you can go on the internet, and you can find a hundred different Bible teachers, a hundred different uh, people that have their opinions about uh, religion and about God and about everything else, and there's information at your finger's reach, but the question we would have to stop and we would have to ask is the same question that Pilate would ask, what is truth? And so for the next few moments, I just want us to focus on this idea of what is truth. Now, it was the Jews that took Jesus prisoner in the garden, as I explained, and it was the Jews that, uh, that brought him to Pilate. And, and uh, it, you can just note this down, or if you want to turn, we're going to be in several of the Gospels, but, uh, but in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 23, you can just jot it down in verse number 2, when the Jews bring, uh, bring him to Pilate. Well, before that, actually, they're talking with him, but the, the Bible says this, and they begin began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nations and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, is Christ a king. And, uh, and that's what the Jews were saying. That were some of their accusations. Well, this certainly is not true because uh, this is what they had told the Pilate. Uh, but that's not true because Jesus did not forbid them to pay tribute uh, to Caesar. And so there were false accusations. But you hear how Pilate is there, and Pilate was not out there every day on the streets listening to what Jesus said. So he's got this group of Jews that come to him, and, and they're filing complaints. And as a governor, it's his responsibility to field those. And so he's saying, okay, uh, this guy's a rebel rouser, and he's perverting the nations, and he's causing people to go against Caesar, and, uh, and he's even claiming to be a king. 
And so Pilate's scratching his head saying, man, this has every, every indication of a government coup trying to overthrow the government and overthrow my position, and I'm not a, I cannot allow that as a government official. So here's all the information that he gets from this side. So then he turns and he goes back in and he's talking with Jesus as we read there in the Gospel of John, chapter number 18. And as he's dialoguing with Jesus and as he's asking these questions to Jesus, he comes down to the fact, as we read in our text, he said, what is truth? He's saying, man, I've got this side saying this. And when I interrogate and talk to Jesus myself, uh, he says, basically at the end of the verse, he says, I find no fault in him. And so he's asking the question, well, what is the truth about Jesus Christ? And listen, in 2022, that is still a relevant question. That is still something that we as people need to determine. Not that it has not been determined already in the Word of God, but we need to find out, hey, what is the truth about Jesus Christ? And what is the truth about all of this? Let me just start with this and tell you this. The Bible says in John 17, 17, the Bible says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So all, uh, all uh, everything that is out there, and all the, uh, the internet articles, and all the TV documentaries, and all the radio personalities that will tell you this or tell you that, Understand this, that the baseline of truth is the Word of God. And so we have to take this as uh, the gospel. The gospel being the good news, we'll say that many times to mean that, hey, it is the truth. It's the gospel truth, we'll say. Uh, that is saying, hey, that the Word of God is true. And my intention this morning is not to give you my opinion, not to tell you, well, this is what I think of it, but rather to show you in the Word of God just three simple truths that we can see. Because Pilate was trying to determine, hey, what is the truth? And maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're saying, well, man, I've, I've heard this and I've heard that. And, and honestly, I am a little bit confused about the truth. And I want you to see from the Word of God yourself, what is the truth? And one of the things that was called into question was whether or not Jesus was a rebel rouser, whether or not he was paying tribute to Caesar, whether or not he was trying to overthrow the government. And, and I'm here to tell you this, that, uh, that Pilate said there at the end of our verse in, in John 18, 38, he says, uh, I find in him no fault at all. And I want you to notice that Jesus the first truth that we'll see in our text is that Jesus was absolutely sinless. We struggle to comprehend that. I struggle to comprehend that, to be honest with you, because I am a sinner, and I can't imagine somebody living their life perfect without sin. I just have a hard time imagining that. Not saying I don't believe it. I just, in my flesh, sometimes I think, man, I can't understand that because I know in and of myself uh, that I'm a sinner. And what is sin? By the way, we're going to talk about some of these things. So what is sin? Well, the Bible says in 1 John, which is towards the end of the Bible, 1 John 3, 4, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is transgression of the law. 
What is transgression? That just simply means to go against God's word, to break what God has commanded us. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, we, we talk about, we've seen it on the news, we've seen it here or there, uh, the Ten Commandments. And, uh, and, and I just, I'll be the guy to tell you that there's a whole lot more than ten, okay? Um, but we'll just go with a couple of those Ten Commandments because we're kind of familiar with that phrase. We know what that means. And what is, what is sin? Well, the Bible defines sin as disobedience to God's command. Well, one of God's command is, uh, is that we shouldn't covet. It says in Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, uh, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Boy, we live in such a coveting society. I, 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 in my neighborhood, uh, or even here at the church occasionally, I, I don't know what it is, but, but lately it seems like there's uh, an excess of Lamborghinis and Corvettes that are driving the roads. And I look at them and I say, man, that is a nice car. And, 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 and listen, you've been there and you've done that and you drive around and you look at a house you say, man, wish I had that house. And we live in such a covetous society and that we, uh, we're not content with what we have and we're constantly looking at other things. And listen, uh, the Bible says that we're not supposed to covet. And so that's a sin. You say, man, that's a pretty basic thing. It is a basic thing. And you know what? About every one of us have, have coveted something in our lifetime. That's a real basic one. How about lying? Uh, all these are in Exodus chapter number 20. The Bible says in Exodus chapter number 20, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. That means to, to lie or to gossip or to tell something that is not true against somebody else. Listen, I think we're all guilty of that as well. Uh, I mean, it's not, uh, we, we're constantly saying something and sometimes unintentionally, but nonetheless, we may bear false witness. That would be to tell something that is not true about somebody else. That's lying. What about stealing? Uh, in Exodus 20, 15, thou shalt not steal. Stealing. And you say, well, man, I've never put on a, a mask and walked into a bank. Wait a minute, except in 2020. Sorry. I've been put on a mask and walked into a bank with a gun to rob it, okay? Um, and I've never tried to steal that way. And, and certainly, uh, you know, we, maybe you haven't. Uh, but can I tell you this? Hey, we've all stole something at some point. I mean, uh, even if it was when your mom baked a fresh thing of cookies and left them on the counter and said, don't touch the cookies. And they're chocolate chip cookies. Oh, my. And they're warm and they're fresh. And you know, there is, you don't want to wait until they're hard and cold. You, you got to eat them fresh. And so she leaves and what do you do? You snag a cookie. And, and I'm just saying uh, that, that we could go through, through many of them. Uh, how about the, the verse number 7? And this is a big one. Uh, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God's name in vain. Boy, you hear cursing all the time. I, I heard a song many, many years ago that his name is more than just a swear word. 
And boy, it's so true. And people uh, just take the Lord's name in vain and they don't even understand and they don't realize, hey, that, that is a sin against God. They have transgressed. They have broken what God has told them not to do. And we could go on and on. There's many other commandments that I'm sure that we would be guilty of. But that's enough. You get the idea that, hey, this is what sin is. It's breaking God's commandment. It's something that we hear, see, and probably do on a daily basis in our life because we're sinners. So sin is very clear. And the Bible says this about sin in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. In other words, uh, a wage is something that you earn. If you go to work and uh, and you work all week long or maybe two weeks long and at the end of that two weeks, uh, you go to your boss and you're expecting to get the paycheck and uh, and he says, well, hey, you have a good day. You'd be like, uh, I'll have a good day after I get my paycheck. And he says, oh, well, we don't have it. You'd be mad. You'd be irate. You say, well, I, I got bills. I got to have that money. I need it. I depend on it. I put in my time and I earned it. I deserve it. I ought to get my paycheck. And, and that's what you deserve. It's your wage. Listen, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. What we earn because of our sin is death. Now, nobody's standing in line saying, I earned my death. I want to get it. Nobody wants that. Nobody's looking forward to it. It is a punishment. It is something that we don't like, uh, but yet it is a true fact from the Word of God. It says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And the Bible says in Revelation 20.14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. You say, man, that doesn't sound good. No, it doesn't. Matter of fact, nobody's standing in line saying, well, I want that payment. But listen, that's sin. That's the payment of sin. But can I tell you that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life? He did not sin. And you say, well, how, how, that's not my opinion. Um, if, you're, if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, save your spot in John as we'll be back there. But go with me uh, to 1 Peter, towards the end of your Bible. Uh, 1 Peter, in chapter number 2. 1 Peter, chapter number 2. In verse number 21, and I want to read you this passage because the whole passage collectively uh, proves and is very definitive, and it's not the only passage... There's other verses as well, but this one's very clear. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 21, because we're talking about Jesus Christ and we're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ was sinless. The Bible says here in 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 21, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ... That would be Jesus Christ. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin. Boy, that's pretty clear right there. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself uh, to him that judgeth rightly, 
who righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. I want to go back to that verse, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. We have a hard time imagining our, our, our speech being perfect. Because honestly, that's probably one of our biggest faults and failures. I mean, uh, somebody says something to you. It says when he was reviled, he reviled not again. In other words, when somebody would, uh, would tease him or pick on him or as the Bible did during, as they did during the crucifixion, they actually mocked him and they, they covered his eyes and then uh, one of the guys would, would punch him and say, hey, if you're Jesus, then why don't you tell us who did that? The Bible says he didn't open his mouth. He didn't revile. How many of you would, uh, would, would set back and just let somebody hit you and, and not, boy, I tell you what, make my flesh boil, man. I, 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 you want to go? Put them up. Let's go. I'll go a few rounds. I mean, that's just our natural reaction is that, hey, we're going to revive. When somebody comes at us, we're going we're gonna to turn around and we're going to get them back. And, and, uh, and certainly, uh, Jesus Christ was without sin. The Bible says that, but it, it goes even further to clarify that, hey, in his mouth was no guile and that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. He was an absolute, perfect, sinless person in God while he was on this earth. What an incredible fact that sometimes we have a hard time understanding because we are sinners. And, and I've said stuff that I shouldn't have said. And you've said stuff that you shouldn't have said. And we've all done stuff that we should not have done. But Jesus was an absolute sinless person. That's the first truth I want you to notice. The second truth I want you to notice back in the Gospel of John and chapter number 19, just the next chapter down as we go through this story. And look with me at verse number 30. I want you to see this. Jesus has already been crucified. He's hanging on the cross. And, uh, and look with me at verse number 30. The Bible says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Jesus Christ willingly gave his life. Jump down with me for sake of time to verse number 34. Uh, let's go to verse number 30. Oh, let's go back to verse number 33. They, they, the soldiers were worried that, uh, before we jump in there, the soldiers were worried and uh, the Jews were worried that the 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 the, the those who were crucified would not uh, die soon enough, so they were going to go through and break their legs. And so they broke the legs of the two other people that were crucified with Christ, and that would just help them to die quicker, to be honest with you. And so we jump in at verse number 33, and the Bible says, But one of the soldiers, uh, but, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs." But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true that ye might believe. Bible is very 
clear that Jesus Christ died on that cross of Calvary. Listen, there may be some who say, well, you know, he was just passed out. He didn't really die. and He went into a coma and, and, uh, and he wasn't really dead. No, the Bible, which is very true, uh, gives us definitive facts that those soldiers went through. And if he had not been dead, uh, if he had still been breathing, they would, not, they would have broken his legs. But they did not break his legs. And they went a step further and they pierced his side and out came blood and water that had already been separated indicating and signifying that Jesus Christ was dead. And this is the record, he says, and they know that it's true. It was verified that Jesus Christ died that day on the cross of Calvary. And we know in verse number 30 that he gave up his go the ghost, he gave up his life, and he willingly died, and he did that. And, and we find that, hey, the Bible is very clear. Now we talked about sin and that Jesus was sinless and the wages of sin is death. So we look at this and we say, uh, Jesus didn't deserve to die. Jesus was sinless. He did not sin. He did not lie. He did not uh, commit any sins. So therefore, Jesus did not deserve to die on the cross of Calvary. But it's a verified fact that He did because the Bible tells us that. And so what is, what is the result? Why, why did Jesus die? Well, the Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on in another portion in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, God took the sin of mankind and placed it upon Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice. So when he died, he took the punishment of sin upon himself. He didn't die because of his own sin. He had no sin. He died as a sacrifice, as, a, as somebody taking the punishment of everyone else. And John, when Jesus came across, uh, the Bible says that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. You might not be familiar with it, but in the Old Testament, the Jews uh, had, a, had a, a Passover celebration that they would do every, year, every single year. And it was right around Easter time and, and resurrection. It falls right around Passover time, the exact same time of the year. And uh, they would go out and they would select a lamb and they would bring that lamb. That lamb had to be a perfect little lamb. It could not be a flawed lamb. It could not be a sickly lamb. It could not be a lamb that was marred in any way. It had to be a perfect lamb. And they would bring that into their house and they would live with that lamb and inspect it for a week or so and watch it and make sure that it was not sickly, make sure that it was not uh, unhealthy. And after that time, they would take that lamb and they would cut its throat and kill it. What was that for? 
In the Old Testament, they were looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. And they were, they were doing that in an exercise of faith that God had told them to do that. And then they would, uh, they would, rem they would remember that Passover time. And the Bibles, and that would go on year after year after year and other sacrifices as well. And it all looked forward to the cross of Jesus Christ. But the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. In other words, that Jesus Christ, when He died on that cross of Calvary, when He shed His precious blood on that cross of Calvary, He did it in a payment for your and my sin. I'm just saying that Jesus died on that cross. It was verified. One more truth I want you to see, because we don't, we're grateful that Jesus did die on the cross, but can I tell you that's not what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating something a little bit better than death. We're celebrating life. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew 28. And I'd like for you to see this. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus has already been put in the, in the tomb and he's already been there for three days. And, and we find that uh, uh, this passage picks that up uh, after he's already been there in the, in the tomb for three days. The Bible says in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 28 and verse number 1, the Bible says... In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and, and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come see the place where the Lord lay. I just selected one passage. We could read four passages or five passages that give testimony and give account of Jesus Christ raising from the dead. And certainly we find here that uh, he is risen from the dead. The angel gives testimony of it. Listen, there were audience and many witnesses. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and verses 3 through 6, it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen of Cephas then of the twelve after that he was seen above 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present but some are fallen 
asleep. And we find that, listen, there was an audience that had witnessed the very fact that Jesus, after he had been verified dead, was verified that he was alive. There were eyewitnesses, the disciples, that had seen Jesus Christ arisen from the dead and walking around and eating and, and spending time with them. And we find that after that, there were another 500 people who had witnessed Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is it is verifiably true that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. And listen, we don't celebrate a dead Jesus. We don't celebrate a, a dead Savior this morning. We celebrate a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who arose from the dead. Praise the Lord that He arose. Go with me there in the book of Matthew, chapter number 28 and verse number 11. We're talking about what is truth. Truth is Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless. The truth is Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and shed his precious blood. The truth is Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I want you to see here in verse number 11 that there was an attempted cover-up of Jesus' resurrection. You remember that uh, the Jews, as they, uh, after Jesus died on the cross and after he was buried, the Jews became very concerned. And they go to Pilate and they say, listen, Pilate, this man Pilate, uh, he said, or, or the, Jesus rather, this man Jesus said that he would raise from the dead the third day. And, uh, and they, they were all concerned about it. And, and they said, listen, his disciples are going to come steal his body and take it away and say that he rose from the dead. So, hey, I want you to do something. And so Pilate said, you know what? Here's all the soldiers. They're under your command. You take and you make that grave as sure as you can. So they took that great stone, they rolled it in front, they would have sealed it to make sure that, that uh, it was, had not been moved and it was verifiably true that it had not been moved, it would have been sealed with a signet. They put a guard of soldiers that would stand there day and night for, for three days. They'd of course swap them out and rotate them out. And what happened was, just as the Bible says, an earthquake took place and a bright light, and those soldiers fell down as dead, the Bible says. They were scared to death. This was not something that they could fight against. And so when they, when they got up, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of details on that, but when they did get up, uh, they, they, they saw that the stone had been rolled away and they saw that the body of Jesus Christ was gone and they got scared because as a Roman soldier, uh, if you do not commit or do your job, uh, listen, death was on the line. They could have been killed for not completing their job, for falling asleep on the job, if we can say it that way. They were scared. Look with me at verse number 11. We get the rest of the story. Now when they were going, behold, some of the, watchmen, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money 
and did as they were taught. And this saying, I love this phrase, is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. You know what they did? They tried to twist it and cover it all up. They said, "Here's you know what, guys? You lie. And, and you tell them that you fell asleep, and while you were asleep, that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus Christ. We have a cover-up is what is going on. They were trying to hide the truth. They were trying to twist the truth. They were trying to bury the truth. They were trying to deceive everyone else because they did not want Jesus Christ to raise from the dead. After all, that would prove that He is the Son of God, and He is God in the flesh, and that He did have power over death, and everything that he said was true and that would make them look bad they did not want that happening they said man we cannot allow this and and the soldiers surely said what if this comes to the governor's ears hey listen he's gonna put us on death row we're gonna die he said you don't worry about that we've got to shoe in with the governor and uh, we'll make sure that everything's swept over and that there'll be no uh, no problems you could almost see it as a a, a political cover-up that would happen even in 2022 it's not new. It's happened in time in the history and past and days gone by. They were trying to cover it up. But can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. Hey, we've looked at the proof. His disciples saw Him. 500 brethren saw Him. The angel gave testimony. We have the Bible account of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now all of this begs the question, why? Why would God in heaven send His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live an absolute, sinless, perfect life? And He was tempted, by the way. We didn't have time to go into that. But He was without sin. Live a sinless, perfect life Go to the cross of Calvary, die on the cross of Calvary, which he did not deserve, and raise from the dead. If you look at that just from that standpoint, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, why did he die? Why did he raise from the dead? Well, we find that he did it, as we've already looked at in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He looked at us, and He saw us as the sinners that we are. Oh, I've coveted. Oh, I've lied. Oh, I've said things I shouldn't say. Oh, I've done things I shouldn't have done. I'm a sinner. And He saw us as sinners and said what they deserve for their sin is death and hell for all of eternity. But He said, I don't want that for them. I love my creation. I love mankind. I love every one of them. And I want to make a way that they don't have to die and go to hell and pay for their sin. So he sent Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And he took our sins upon himself and died on the cross of Calvary to pay our price that we could not pay. And he rose again to show his victory over death, hell, and the grave. And this morning, he loves you, and he cares about you. And he wants you 
to be saved eternally. I'll close with this story. In 1830s, a man named George Wilson robbed a U.S. Postal Service, robbed several of them. He was caught and he was actually convicted of actually endangering a, a postal carrier's life and, and so he was thrown in prison. Andrew Jackson, the president, had heard about him and, and, uh, and decided, you know what, I want to write a pardon for George Wilson. He wrote out a pardon for George Wilson and sent it to the prison where George Wilson was being kept. And, and as George Wilson uh, received that pardon, and when, when, he, when he got it, he opened it, he read it, and he rejected it. He said, I will not take it. Went back to the president. The president said, man, I, I don't know what to do. And so it actually went through the court system and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court had to deliberate and decide if a man that is in prison, convicted of a crime, rejects a pardon that the president gives him, what do we do? The Supreme Court wrote this, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. In other words, we cannot force George Wilson to accept the pardon that the president received. And if he chooses to finish out his sentence, if he chooses uh, to, to, to pay for his own sin, then so be it. We can't force a pardon. Listen, Jesus Christ is no different. He offers a pardon to you. It's up to you to receive that pardon. And if you don't receive the pardon of Jesus Christ, then you pay your own price. You finish out your own sentence for your own sin. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Jesus Christ loves you. That's what Easter is all about. That's why Jesus Christ came to this world to save you. Because we've all sinned. I'm going to have a short word of prayer and we'll have a short invitation. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, coming to this world and dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And God, I pray that you would be with each and every person this morning. God, if there's one here that has not received that pardon from you, and put their faith and trust in you. God, I pray that you'd speak to their hearts and they do so this morning. And we'll give you the honor and glory for that. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed as the piano begins to play, that's the truth from the Word of God. What is truth? That's what we started with. The truth is Jesus Christ loves you. The truth is Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins.
for my sins, not for his own. And he rose again, and he did it because he absolutely loves you. He does not want to see you suffer and pay for your sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Preacher, I understand the message. I see that Jesus wrote a pardon for me. I've never really understood that until today, but I do want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I want to receive that pardon. I'd like to be pardoned for my sins. I'd like to have Him save me. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 10 and verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It is a faith and belief that Jesus Christ is the only one that can save you. It goes on and it says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A lot of people confess Jesus Christ, but they don't truly believe it. We put our faith in Him and our trust in Him, then confess it, it's salvation. We totally believe that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on that cross of Calvary. Goes on in verse number 13 and says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you right there in your seat this morning, right where you stand, would like to be saved, you could simply say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I want to be saved today. And I'm asking you to save me, and I'm putting my faith and trust in you as my Savior. Save me and forgive me of my sins. And if you'd pray a prayer just like that from your heart, He'll save you. It's a promise that He made. Maybe you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer just now where you stand. Nobody's looking around. All the eyes are closed. Nobody's looking. If you would just let me know by a show of your hand. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. I want to be a help to you. You say, Pastor, I, I prayed that prayer just right now, and I know for sure that I'm, uh, or I asked Jesus to save me just now. Just raise your hand. Is anybody, nobody's looking around, okay? You can just put your hand up and put it back down. Okay, I see those hands. I'm glad for you. Listen, that's the best decision you can ever make in your life. There's no greater decision than that. Thank the Lord for that salvation. Listen, maybe you're here and you're confused and you're not for sure and you want to talk to somebody. Listen, I'll be happy to talk to you after church. Grab somebody from our church. Maybe, maybe somebody invited you here and, and I'm sure that they'd be more than happy to talk to you or, or, or bring you to somebody who could talk to you to show you how you could be saved. Why don't you hang around and just find out for sure. Listen, eternity is the most important thing and while the Lord's speaking, don't put it off. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. So be sure to get that settled today.
After church, you're more than welcome to come talk to me, talk to somebody. Get it nailed down. For those who trusted the Lord, praise the Lord. I'm glad for you. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to be all done. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sinless life. Thank you for his death on the cross of Calvary. And thank you, Lord, for his resurrection from the dead. What a wonderful Savior. And God, that you would love us. How amazing, how wonderful. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart that's here. And God, that we would live for you and love you like you loved us. God, I pray that you'd speak to each and every heart, bless each and every person. God, I pray that you would bless their time of Easter and their celebration. May they be mindful of the very resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, I want to thank you so much for being with us this morning, and you are dismissed. Smile at somebody, tell them you're so glad to see them here. And if you need to talk to somebody, I'll be right down front, and, uh, and you feel free to come and talk to me. God bless.